Good morning. How are y'all doing? Good. Only this side said they were great. It's interesting. It's good to see y'all here. As the video said earlier, if you're a guest, thank you for being our guest. We are, are very thankful that you're here and want to uh, hopefully be a blessing to you as you're here. Uh, so please don't hesitate to ask any questions. Stop by the Welcome Center. I do want to start off this morning uh, by saying that uh, that song is um, uh, just such a blessing because sometimes we're going through things, you're going through things, and uh, it's hard to explain what you're going through. It's hard to explain uh, to anybody, and, and yet we know that God knows uh, everything that's going on in our heart, everything going on in our mind, and, and that brings comfort. We got several people going through things in our church and uh, have gone through things, and um, you know, I, I want to ask you to continue to pray for Brother Everett uh, Watkins and, and Miss Deborah. She sent me a message this morning saying that he had a rough night last night, and and uh, they're trying to just make him comfortable and, and stuff like that. So uh, if y'all will just keep that family in your prayers, and I know you, you are, and, and those who, uh, Miss Debbie and, and so many others who are going through things, uh, but uh, just continue to, to be faithful to that. God uh, is absolutely in control, and he is absolutely good, uh, regardless of what we go through. Uh, I also want to say I've been seeing people come back uh, week after week from quarantining and all that kind of stuff, and it's just good to see uh, faces again that we hadn't seen in a while. So thank you for being, amen, praise God. It, it, it matters, you know, it, it means something when we're together uh, in uh, the, the place that we've designate, designated to meet, uh, whether it's this place or if it was outside or somewhere else, this is, this is where God has given us to gather. And it's such an important thing for family to get together, and we are the family of God. So uh, I want to encourage you to take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn to Acts chapter 2. And, um, you know, we have been going through this for three weeks now. It's going to be our um, fourth message on this. And we left off last week with the apostles being empowered with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages or unknown languages to them, but known languages to all the Jews that were gathered from the nations there on the day of Pentecost. And we talked about that uh, what they did talk about on that day was the great works of God, and that's exactly what the, the, the people gathered there said. We're hearing them testify the great works of God in our own language. Different dialects, uh, of course, as I said, different actual languages were understandable to those that were gathered there. They weren't necessarily known before from those who were speaking them. And so we talked about the importance of understanding what the gift of tongues is. Again, it's still something that's debated and argued about today, which is such an amazing thing uh, that we wonder that God can grant to somebody by the power of the Holy Spirit an ability to speak in a different language that they didn't know, and yet somebody else knew and could understand a human language. Um, and yet we don't marvel at the fact that God can take a wretched, filthy sinner and change them into a you know, just the, in, in, into a righteous saint of God, not in their own righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Take, take somebody who's lost and on their way to hell and make them a child of God on the way to heaven. And so uh, we say, man, that's, that's an amazing miracle. Again, God is the God that does miracles. We, we've talked about that. We've talked about the fact that he still works those things in, in many ways today. But we left off with the challenge last week with, with this, not to reckon in our own wisdom the how. How is this impossible thing going to get done? How is God going to do this? Again, the apostles might have been wondering, 
You want us to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the world. Again, we only speak Galilean, you know. And so God shows up and does this amazing miracle in their presence. And what we learn from that is sometimes we need to just get out of our own way and trust and obey what God has told us to do. And that can be difficult because we try to make things more complex sometimes than they are. God wants us to simply trust Him and obey Him. And so all I do is this, well, just be faithful. And and that's what they were being. They were being faithful. They had made themselves available to God, and they were being obedient to what God had said. And so uh, we're going to kind of move forward this morning, but by moving forward, we're going to go back just a little bit. So let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for, again, being our God. And we, we love you. We realize that we don't love you enough, and we pray that you would help us to love you more. Help us to love you the way that your divinity demands, God, uh, and commands to, to, to love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Or we, uh, we get so uh, sidetracked, or we get so uh, pulled to other affections, even of this world, and you, you're going to show us one day when we're in your presence just the magnificence and the love uh, that you are worthy of and, and, and the praise. And, and I, I, I ask right now that we would be able to grab a, a hold of that right now, that we'd be able to just adore you and praise you and focus on you and love you with everything that we have. And I pray that we would also follow that by loving one another. And again, especially in these days, it seems like there's so many different attacks from the enemy not just outside of the church, but even within the church. And so many people becoming emotional with circumstances instead of staying true to who you've called us to be. And I pray that this church would be different, Lord, that we would be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in your work. God, we would be faithful to love you and to love others and uh, just be unified in your, in your purpose and your vision and your mission, God. And we ask you to just meet with us now. If there's somebody that doesn't have a personal relationship with you. Uh, They've never surrendered their life. Lord, I pray that you would work in their life right now, that they would do that before they leave this place, or they turn their computer off, or that today would be the day of salvation for them. They'd be free from the bondage of sin, freed from the condemnation that they're living in under that sin. And again, today would be a day of of, um, salvation. I'll praise you for what you do. Lord, we ask you to just move now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, so far we've seen in this, this first church, this young new church, you know, there wasn't really a, uh, I mean, there was a leadership structure, but there wasn't really a, all these different programs going on and all these other things. Again, they just had the mission that Jesus Christ gave to them. They knew what they were supposed to be doing. And as I said, they were obedient to that call. But there's been some things that we've seen along the way that I think are very important for us to say, okay, that's what they had. That's what we should still have today. And so I put some of those things uh, on the screen. First of all, we've learned that they were all in, right? That's, that's where this church was. They weren't thinking about, well, what if this doesn't work out? Or what if we have other things? They were all in for the cause of Christ. It doesn't mean that they didn't have to eat. It didn't mean that they didn't have to sleep and get rest. It doesn't mean that they didn't have to do some of the human things that we have to do that even Jesus Christ did. But they were all in for the kingdom. They, they, they'd given up and their, their lives and, and, and followed him completely. And in that, they were together. That's the second thing. They were together. Every day, 
It wasn't just something, yeah, I got you in my heart. It wasn't just an emotional thing that, yeah, we're together uh, on, the, on a mental level or even a spiritual level. They understood that they were in this together, and that meant physically. Again, the importance of gathering as a church body cannot be— under, today, the, the church has been under attack for so many thousands of years, you know, a couple thousand years, but so many, so many different ways in those thousands of years that it is, it's sad. One of the ways is the enemy knows if he can begin to divide the church and undermine the importance of a church being together, then he can weaken that church and ultimately see many, many churches, what we've seen, fall apart because of that. And people have said, well, we are the church. It's not a building. That's absolutely right as far as a temporal building. But don't mistake that the church is a building. The Bible says that it is a building of God. And a building doesn't exist separately. A building exists together. That's, that's what Scripture says. You are God's building. You are God's—you are His, His building. And so, again, they understood we got to be together. We got to be together to pray together. We got to be together to encourage each other together. We've got to be together to accomplish this together. We, we have got to be together. And so they were. They were also obedient, as we've said. And they were, as I said a while ago, praying. They, they weren't negotiating what God had commanded them to do, and they weren't thinking about it. They were praying that God would empower, him, empower them, do what He promised He would do. I'll send the Comforter, and He's going to help you, and He's going to empower you, and you will be witnesses for me. And they were waiting. We saw, we've seen that they were waiting. They weren't getting ahead of God. They weren't doing things that sounded really spiritual and sounded really good without God's power and without God's blessing. They waited on God, but the important part of that is, is they weren't waiting in inactivity. So in other words, they were waiting but not inactive. They were, they were, again, praying, encouraging each other, being obedient, and doing what God had called them to do. Sixth, they were focused on eternal things together. As I said a while ago, it, it, it wasn't I mean, I think today we probably have more distractions, and maybe I'm wrong in that, um, you know, because the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, but we have so many other ways. We were talking about that recently. So many other ways maybe for the enemy to use, just because the advancement of mankind, just because technology, just because all those things have come along. And you and I, I mean, think about it. Before there were cars, they, there were buggies, right? And before there were uh, buggies, they were on horseback and other animals and stuff like that. But in those modes of transportation, they never had to worry about whether they were going to be texting or not, right? So it's just another layer of, of distraction, another layer. They didn't have to worry if they were checking their, their social media account while they were trying to drive or, or while they're having a conversation. They were checked out because their mind just can't stop and shut off because it's got so many other things to be thinking about in that moment versus being in the moment with a person. They, they didn't have all these distractions that I think we have today. Maybe they had other ones. Maybe it was the fact that they didn't have the kind of clean water we have today. So they had to think about how they were going to get the daily water, you know, or whatever the case may be. But the truth is this. They've kind of set all that aside and said, we're going to focus on eternal. Because we've seen the resurrected Christ. We know His command is, we, we know it's in, important. And we've got to do that. And, and seventh of all, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, that, that is my prayer for my life. That's my prayer for our church, that we would be filled with the Spirit. And I'm not talking about the way, the, the perverted way that it's talked about today and other, you know, uh, churches, and I'm not trying to judge that, but I, I'm talking about 
truly filled with the Holy Spirit of God and be made up like that. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what ministry. I don't, all, that, all I care is that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and that we're doing what God has called us to do. If, if we have ministries and things that help that and help people come to Christ and help people grow in the Lord and, and that's, what, that's what happens, amen, praise God. But I don't want to just do things and I don't want to just go through the motions. I don't want to just have programs. Just that. I don't want to do any of that stuff. I want us to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can actually make an impact for the kingdom of God. If not, take us home. I mean, that's, that's where we're going anyways, you know. Because I don't want to waste time and I don't want to do things for me or for, for us that are only temporal. I really want us to make an impact for the kingdom. But I, I want to look in, in verse 12 back in, in our text and, and as I said, kind of move forward as we go back. Because I, I kind of breezed through this last week, Peter's message. And I did that for a reason, I believe, to, to do what uh, the points we got last week. But the message itself needed a message. And so that's, why, that's where we got to uh, this week, is to look at what Peter's message was to this group of Jews gathered on the day of Pentecost. In verse 12, they were all amazed and they were doubt. Again, they were just filled with the Spirit, speaking in, in tongues they didn't know, but known to those that were there present. And they said one another, what does this mean? And the story goes on in our text in verse 13. It says, others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter stood up with the eleven, and he lifted up his voice. And he said unto them, you men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, listen to what I'm saying. For these are not drunken as you think they are, as you suppose, seeing it is the third hour of the day. Now, if you know the third hour of the day in the Jewish day calendar was, this was 9 a.m. in the morning. Now, that happens. There are some people that are held captive by that. But these guys were in the middle of the temple. Not saying that that couldn't happen, but it was, it would be very, very, very odd for all of these guys to be drunk at 9 a.m. in the morning. Said not if they had a party, you know. But no, that's Peter was making it clear. Listen, it's nine in the morning. We haven't had time to be drunk, and so this is not what's going on. But this is which was spoken by the prophet Joel. If you turned your Bibles over to Joel and read the prophecy, it would it would go like this: It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see, shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, and, my, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall not be turned into darkness, I'm sorry, shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, I want to remind you that Peter was bringing attention to the fact that these words, this prophecy was spoken many years before. Hundreds of years before. And now today we are reading them even thousands of years later. So whereas Peter was telling them, look, the last days have come. This is exactly what the prophet Joel has said. And in the last days, this is what's going to happen. That was 2,000 years ago. 
Now here we sit as the followers of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later, knowing that it was 2,000 years ago, and even hundreds of years before that, that the prophet Joel was saying in the last days, it's going to come to pass. Peter says, that day has come. The last days are upon us. You know, we could go to Matthew chapter 24 and see the signs of the coming of the Lord are upon us now. We could take the time and, and, and look at what Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago before Peter was preaching this message. And, and, and we could see that Jesus himself said, there will be famines and they'll increase. There'll be pestilences huh? and they'll increase. There are going to be earthquakes in various places, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes that are not just various places, but strange places. You know, I went back and looked at some of my notes from years and years ago, and I had mentioned some things about natural disasters in 2011, 2012. And they were, there were a lot then. But the rate at which they're increasing and the rate at which we know what's going on is amazing. And I'm not saying that any of that to scare us, because as the children of God, we know that perfect love casts out fear. So there's no fear in love, because fear has to do with judgment. That's what Scripture says. And so we have no fear, because we don't have to live under the, 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 the condemnation of our sin. Jesus Christ took that, again, as the people of God. But I believe this should serve as a warning call for us today. A warning call to be alert and serving. Just as, as the admonition in Matthew chapter 24, verse 46 says, it says, blessed is that servant whom his Lord shall find so doing when he comes. You know, I, I, I thought so many times about that verse. Blessed is that servant when his Lord, when he comes, he finds doing the work. Verse 42 in Matthew chapter 24, I'm not going to again read the whole thing, but I do want to read just a few verses here. Jesus says, therefore, stay awake. You don't know, you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the master of the house had known in what part of the night that the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And then he says those words, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Again, not only is this a warning call, I think a wake-up call. Look around. You know, we, we, we listen to the news. I mean, I have talked to, to Christians in, in, in recent weeks, and there's, there's this stirring going on in, in our spirit. There's something going on. And, and, and maybe it has to do with the the, the, the restlessness that's going on in our nation. Maybe it has to do with all the, the crazy things that we're dealing with and in our world today that's changed. But it seems like in conversation, there's something different. There's just something different going on. And, and, and maybe it is the Spirit of God telling His people, hey, wake up. Be 
ready. Behold, I come quickly, is what he said. Again, even this recent, as recent as this last month, unnecessary evils all over the place. It's not just in our nation, it's all over the world. So why is that such an important factor? Because Jesus said that the love of many will wax cold. And that's what it looks like. It seems like even among, sadly, professing believers, and I say professing because I just don't know that you can say that you are a believer if you don't love, because that's what Jesus said would happen, is if the love of God is in you, you're going to love others. And so these signs, I believe, that we see, these things going on are, are warning to those who have not placed, not only to, to, to believers, but to those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The time is near. The door of salvation is open now, but it's closing. Again, the signs that Jesus gave were 2,000 years ago, and they're increasing more and more every single day. But Peter gives this, this truth. He connects the truth from the prophecy to that moment right then, and he says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As we're learning and being reminded of foundational truths for the church back then, going back, we're seeing examples for the first church, from the first church to our church today. This right here, this point number one, is a vital foundational truth for the church. We carry the gospel everywhere we go. We're supposed to go to the uttermost with this message that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Church, we have to remember that we don't know who that is. It may be our neighbor. It may be our coworker. It, it may be that, that stranger at that restaurant. We don't know who hasn't called on the name of the Lord. We don't everybody. I'm sorry, who hasn't called on the name of the Lord. But this truth still remains, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, I want to challenge you with this. When is the last time you shared that foundational truth with somebody who needed it? When's the last time you, you stepped out of maybe social awkwardness or social distancing or whatever you want to stepped out of and say, you know what, I, I have got to share this foundational truth that's existed for thousands of years. That, that was the prophet Joel speaking the prophecy and, 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 and Peter reiterating the prophecy that the last days this was going to happen and that Jesus wants to save. He died. He rose again. Whosoever. When's the last time you told somebody? It's available for everybody. So I just have a hard time doing that because I just don't know. Listen, grab a track at the Welcome Center. Grab an invite card. Point them to our website that is tbtchurch.org forward slash heaven. And it has a whole gospel conversation there. Tell them, hey, look at this. You got to know before you go. Whosoever. This was a mystery. It was a crucial turning point, though, for the Jews and the Gentiles because, again, Peter was bringing it to reality. Even though the Jews were a little slow to get it, Paul, the apostle, had to be called out, a, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles, come back to the Jerusalem council and, and later in, in Acts that we'll see this. And he has to explain to them, listen, the Gentiles are getting saved too. The, the, the power of the Holy Spirit has been demonstrated in their lives as well. It's not just for the Jews. It was a mystery, the mystery of the church, the mystery of grace being unfolded. 
It still exists today. We have got to be dedicated to this gospel foundational truth. Whosoever shall call the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, if you're here today and you've never called on the name of the Lord for salvation, it's still open. As I said, the door, I believe, is closing. Any man, any woman, any person who can understand that their sin, the things that they've committed that have broken the law of God, that sin has separated them from God and it has placed them under the judgment of God, the wrath of God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And if a person dies in that place under the judgment and condemnation of their sin, no matter what sin it is, if it was a lie or if it was stealing something or it was lust or coveting or, or, or taking the Lord's name in, 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 in vain, blaspheming his name or whatever sin it was, regardless, the holy God will judge all sin. And if they die, if you die in your sin, you will spend an eternity under that wrath, under that judgment of sin, never to have relief. That makes the amazing good news that Jesus came and died for all, shed his blood to be the payment for all of our sin, rose again so that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you haven't done that, I'm begging you, the time is speeding the time is, is, is coming quickly. Uh, Jesus is coming. Amen. And you better enter into the ark before it's too late. This, again, is an amazing truth about whosoever shall call the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who, whoever wants to have a relationship with God can have not just some relationship through the priestly order or, or through, the, through, through any, any other person other than Jesus Christ, that you can go directly to God himself was, was a mystery that was being revealed in those times. I love what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, that, that was not before. The holy place was only reserved for the high priest. It was only something that, that could be done at the appointed times with the, uh, the right person. And now, because of the blood of Jesus, all men could enter into the holy place, the presence of God. And Peter's sitting here explaining what they were seeing, this prophecy of God being fulfilled, a great door for mankind being opened. 2,000 years ago, this urgent message pierced the hearts of 3,000 people. And in, three, and in one day, the Bible says, 3,000 people surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ. As it is right now, this urgent message is still being preached in churches around the world. Christ is coming. The signs are here. Repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. Confess him as your Lord. Receive his, receive his free gift of salvation. Call on his name to be saved. As I said a while ago, the prophecy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, I believe couldn't be any more true than it is right now. The love of many will wax cold. People don't like thinking about the end. Some people don't. Because the temporary pleasure of sin or the temporary pleasure of convenience and comfort 
this mindset that we have adopted in our Western society, that, man, we have so much to live on this earth right now. And I've used the illustration before, but man, if we could get an idea of how short this blip of time is compared to eternity, we, I believe if we could grasp that, we would live completely differently on this earth. We, we would live actually like we were just passing through, like we really did have treasures laid up beyond the blue. You know, we, we would live like this world was not our home. We, that's how we would live if we could really grasp that what James said, that life is really like a vapor. It, it, it's like a mist. It just comes here for a second, and then it's gone. But we, we, we've, we've adopted, we, we've, we've ingrained ourselves into this temporal world, and, and, and we've been swept up with the comforts and the conveniences and all the things that, that are here. And we've left off the, the most important things of eternity. Not everybody, but a lot of us. So, again, people don't want to think about it. When you get this call for soberness and for seriousness and considering the Lord's return and living like the, the, reality, the, the, the Lord's return is a reality, when that call goes out, including for Christians, many turn a deaf ear, turn a callous heart, I don't want to think about that right now. I don't want to, I've got too much to, I've got this going on, I, I need to do this. Maybe even it's because there's just too many things in this world that we think we have to tend to. Is that you? Is that me? Have we become callous to the urgency of the call to go? Have we become callous to the urgency that it's still whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved? Have our hearts grown callous in the convenience? Have our hearts grown callous in the comforts? We've stopped living like this is not our home. God, help us to be sensitive. God, help us to be alert and wise and be that steward be that servant that's found so doing when he comes back. I wonder about this. I wonder, have we already judged people's hearts? Have we already judged their souls to condemnation by not being spiritually in tune enough to urgently share the gospel? Are we the ones that are condemning the lost in our lack of sharing the gospel. So no, their sin condemns them, right. But we are the messengers. We are the carriers. We're the ones that, that carry the hope with us, with the gospel, the, the light that, 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 that brought, the, that cast out the darkness in our life, the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We're the bearers. We have that treasure in these earthen vessels. And, and it's supposed to shine, but, but are we condemning the lost in our silence? If we really believe Jesus is coming back, just like Peter said, listen, it's not crazy. We're not drunk. It's exactly what God said. He said, I'm going to pour out my spirit in the last days, just like the prophet Joel said, that, that this is what was going to happen so that whosoever can, calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
I want to live more urgently. I want us to live more urgently. If we could see people like souls. That's part of the problem in our world today. We don't see people as souls, eternal souls. I believe there's a lot in, in, in our church that see people as souls. So many people get distracted by these auxiliary things and auxiliary issues that are going on in our world today. If we would simply love like the Lord loves and see people as eternal souls, it would change things. I think it would change things in the church, for the church, through the church. But do we judge the lost in our silence? Do we sentence them to remain in darkness? in all of this it's a treasure it's a call as i said a while ago second corinthians chapter 4 tells us that a message that god gave through joel a message that god spoke himself in john chapter 3 verse 16 you know it we don't have to read it god so loved the world a message that's still to be carried by us today so peter continues to implore them and i, I don't know that i'm able to get done with all of this this morning but I do want to get through this. It says this, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You've taken by lawless hands, you've crucified and put him to death, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that should, he should be held by it. I love that verse. Man, listen to that again. Whom God raised up after, after man with, with sinless, uh, sinner's hands put Jesus Christ to death. God raised him up having loosed the pains of death. Why? Because it wasn't possible that he could be held by the pains of death. Man. Because David says concerning him, I saw the Lord, I saw the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, the dwelling place of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. He goes on to explain, men and brethren, let me speak freely to, the, to you of the patriarch David that he, who wrote that. He is both dead and buried, so it's not about him. It was a messianic psalm. And his tomb is with us today. We can go look at it. <laughs> Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades. It wasn't left in the dwelling place of the dead, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God, has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. We saw him. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, said, he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, know this for sure, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Praise God. 
Wow, I love that. What a sermon Peter is preaching. And he's driving home this foundational truth again. Not only is it so vital for the church to remember that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and that's the message we are to take to the lost, but it's so vital in that message that we take this, point number two, that Jesus is Lord and Christ. What does that mean? That means a lot. <laughs> the fact that there, there's no way we're going to get into all of that this morning, but being Lord connects the dots that he is overall, first of all. So Jesus being Lord, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, that means that he is God. That means he is overall. He has the preeminence. Just as Colossians chapter 1 says, he is over all of creation. But Christ means that he's Messiah, the anointed one of God. That connects the dots, showing that he is the Savior of not only the Jews, but of the whole world. See, Peter's intent here was to bring to the front of these Jews' conscience that David, the anointed king of Israel, their patriarch, who they believed would, would produce the Messiah, was not risen. He had a grave. They could go see it. He wasn't at the right hand of the Father, but Jesus was. And he appeals to the knowledge of David, his writings, brings to light that Jesus is, is the Christ. He is that Messiah that, 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 that was to come to save the nation and save the world. The one that was crucified for their sins was buried and risen again. He was bringing to light that, that the blood of Jesus was on their hands. And the truth for us still today is the blood of Jesus is on our hands. He died for the sins of the world, which includes us. The Jews, and more specifically the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were the ones that physically took him and put him, well, the, the Romans did, but they're the ones that behind the movement to have him crucified. But the truth is, is while hands took him, he surrendered to the Father's will. He went without a fight. Why? Why did Jesus do that? Because it was his substitutionary death that's necessary for the salvation of all men. What does that mean? Substitutionary death. The atonement, the payment, satisfying the wrath of God, satisfying the righteous requirement for God against sin. Jesus shed his blood in our place, substitutionary. His blood was that satisfaction, that propitiation. It was that atonement that took our place. We deserved it. We sinned. We deserve wrath. But Christ paid the price. His death in our place satisfied a debt we had and could never pay. So if you're here today, you're watching online, you've not placed your trust, your life, your eternal confidence in Jesus, then his death in your place for your sins hasn't been applied to your soul's account. That means that you're still under judgment. You're still under condemnation. You're still in your sin. That judgment is the judgment of God's wrath for all of eternity. You stand to face that wrath without any help or hope. 
if you don't accept Christ's substitutionary death for you. That's why that statement, he is both Lord and Christ. The Bible says that he sent his son, God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that through, the, through him that the world would be saved. There's only one way. Peter was bringing that out in this message. There's only one way. It's Jesus. That's foundational truth for the church. There's so many different opinions today, so many different emotions and so many different religions and, and so many different, you know, even denominations that are out there that, that, that begin to be sympathetic and think, well, if people have well-meaning hearts and if they're trying and if they have their own vision of God and, and that, listen, there is only one Lord and one Christ, and it's Jesus. This is vital foundational truths. Listen, church, is I just don't know how I'm going to apply that today. The day may be coming where this begins to be more separating than it is ever before in your life. Where you have to share, no, I'm sorry. It is only Jesus. It's only through him. That sounds really good, and I know your heart is really well-meaning, but you can't go to heaven any other way other than trusting Jesus alone. See, it's been contested, and it's still being contested today. Jesus can't be God. He was a man. He became God. He was a man. He was a good man. He was a teacher. There's no way he could be God in the flesh. 100% God, 100% man doesn't happen, can't happen, no way. He is. He said that. I am the way, John 14, 6. The truth and the life and no man, no matter how well-meaning he is, no matter how close to it is, he is, no matter how near trusting Jesus he is or, or his own version of Jesus. I've heard people say that before. Well, I have my own version of Jesus. I have my own version of God. No, Jesus said, I am the way. You don't have to come up with another version. It's him. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in Acts chapter 4, which we'll eventually get to, he says this the, in, in the message there and, uh, to the Philippians, says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. He is Lord and Christ. Inseparable from those two roles. Church, we've got to have these at the forefront of our mind at the forefront of our hearts listen and at the forefront of our lips this is what we've got to be about in these days look don't get wrapped up in any get wrapped up in the gospel let's be busy about the kingdom work these are foundational whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved the world's got to hear that the world's got to hear that jesus is both lord and christ and there is no other way to heaven if you had one last conversation to have with somebody, what would it be? And how do we know that's not the last conversation we'll have with them? If you had one opportunity to, to share something, whatever it means, social media, what if it was the last opportunity you had to share something on this earth? What impact do we want to make on this world? Let's take these foundational truths. We didn't even get to point three. And I want to challenge us this morning. Let's be the church just like the first church was. Let's stand up for these truths and proclaim these truths before it's too late. He's coming quickly. 
is coming soon. And not only that, again, he may be taking us home sooner than he comes back, right? And we've got, a, got a, a, a beloved brother in Christ fighting for his life in a hospital right now. And one of the thoughts that are in, in, in our head and the conversation I had with, with Deborah yesterday, you know what he was thinking? If this takes me, he told her this, then I get to beat you to Jesus. <laughs> it's, it could be any of us. Let's be urgent about living on this earth for the kingdom. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to be here in this place and be stirred up and reminded of these truths. They're basic, but we leave them off every day. We, we don't passionately share them. We don't have them at the forefront of our minds and our hearts. We, we believe them. We accept them, and, and, and we, we trust these truths, and, and we know they're right. But so many times we're, we're not willing to share them with people who desperately need them. What's wrong with our world today, what's wrong with our country today, is many of them are lost. You say that there are many on the, the road that leads to destruction. We see evil manifesting itself in so many different ways, even in our own country. And the answer to the problem is not through some legislation or politics. The answer to the problem, problem being sin, is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And help us as, as the bearers of the gospel, as, as the carriers, the ones who have, have received the, the gospel light, to bear the light, to be the light. To be the salt, God, help us be the church that you've called us to be from the beginning. Lord, I pray that we, we would walk out of here changed, that we would maybe have that person, that coworker, that neighbor, that friend, that family member, maybe even run across a stranger that, that we're confident that, or not confident that they are they're saved, that we would be faithful to share the, these truths, that they can call on the name of Jesus and be saved, and that he is the only way. Lord, help us be passionate about this. Help us respond rightly now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he plays, I want to encourage you to respond how the Lord leads you.